In this week's episode, we are chatting with Allison Lieberman. She is a therapist and with a specialty in postpartum mental health. And we are talking all about postpartum anxiety, a little bit about postpartum depression, but specifically about the anxiety piece, because it really is underdiagnosed, under talked about, underrepresented as far as maternal mental health goes. And Allie is really great at um, explaining what those symptoms might be and the thoughts that come with that and helping you understand that they are actually very common and you're not alone in those feelings. And it's just a really great, very supportive conversation. She's just lovely. She has a lot of great book recommendations. So yeah, it's a great episode. I know you're going to enjoy it. Here we go. Welcome to the Around the Campfire podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child, but I believe it also takes a village to raise a mom. I'm your host, Jillian Benke, the founder of Mom Camp. In each episode, I chat with busy moms who are doing awesome things in life and work. Join us for real conversation and community because this is your village. This is the Around the Campfire podcast. Hi, Allie, and welcome to the Around the Campfire podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Can you start by introducing yourself, who you're a mom to, what you do, all of that? Yeah, so I'm Allie Lieberman. I am a marriage and family therapist, and I am certified in perinatal mental health. So that kind of starts before conception and goes all the way through to the year postpartum. Um, I live in California and I have two kids. I have a one and a half year old and I have a three and a half year old. Amazing. um, Nash is the three and a half year old and Avery is the one and a half year old. Aw, such great ages. I miss it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. Very cute and very crazy. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the crazy main retain or remains and the uh, cute tends to go away, but (laughs) (laughs) over the years I'm noticing. So tell me, how did you get into this work? Were you doing it before you were a mom or did what, like what led you to it? Yeah. So I, I mean, I was a therapist before I became a mom, but I was more of a generalist and Mm. I worked a lot with kids actually, um, mostly teens, but also like the younger age kids. And then I had my son and I didn't know it at the time. It was probably about eight months later. I realized that I had been struggling with postpartum anxiety. Mm. And I was a little surprised that one, I wasn't super familiar with postpartum anxiety, given all the education that I had had. And then um, of the plethora of providers I had seen about my anxiety, no one was like, hey, you might have postpartum anxiety. I considered that. Yeah. And I, I worked for a psychiatry practice and nobody like, when I would talk about it, nobody was like, oh, this might be what you have. And so (laughs) I started to do some research and realized there's a whole field dedicated to it. And so um, in a good way and a bad way, once I find a a path, then I'm tunnel visioned to get there. (laughs) Right. Right. um, I was about 
um, maybe eight months pregnant and realized, okay, like I want to get the certification. I was eight months pregnant with my daughter. And then that was when the pandemic hit and all of that. So like so many crazy things happened. And then of course, following the birth of my daughter, given the circumstances, I had postpartum anxiety again. You did. Okay. Yeah. But since I knew what it was and I knew what I needed, then it was Mm -hmm. easier to get through it quicker than the first time. I think the first time it really took me a long time and I'm sure that it carried over into the the second time I had a baby too. So did I have so many questions? Did you have anxiety pre-pregnancy the first time? Like, so you recognize it as anxiety, but just not postpartum or was it all new to you? Yeah. So I had, I've had anxiety, you know, most of my life, um, but functional. So like it it worked for me and sometimes it would get too much, but sometimes it wouldn't, you know, it was fine. And then, um, after I had my son, I would have these crazy intrusive thoughts, Mm -hmm. which is really common. And, um, I wouldn't be able to sleep. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd start to fall asleep and then I would have this like intrusive thought that he was like drowning in a pool. We don't have a right. pool. <laughs> um, and, and then I would freak out and I'd have to go check on him a million times. And then, then I would be like, okay, I can go back to sleep. And then it'd happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then when I had my daughter, the exact same thing happened. Okay. It was about three months in both times that it okay. like hit its peak. Oh, interesting. Now Mm. is that, are the intrusive thoughts kind of the differentiating factor between postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety? Like, how do you know? Cause postpartum depression, I feel in the last 10 years, especially has gotten some play, right? Like people are talking about it. Moms are aware that it's a thing and might ask their doctor about it. Their doctor might talk to them about it. You know, whereas when I became a mom 14 years ago, it wasn't even, I mean, it was it was out, but it, nobody talked about it. And it was sort of this taboo thing that nobody acknowledged existed. Um, so what, how do you know which one you might have if, you know, if your doctor's not talking to you about it, like in your case, right? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to probably have a long-winded answer because I have like two responses. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Um, just in terms of the intrusive thoughts, intrusive thoughts can happen no matter what. I mean, Mm -hmm. people have intrusive thoughts and they don't have babies. Like that's just kind of catastrophizing, right? Like everything's going so well. What if I have a car accident? You know, like it's exactly, (laughs) exactly. And a a common one that like a lot of moms experience is like, they're walking down the stairs with their baby and they're like, Oh my God, what if the baby flies out of my arms? Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. So some of them are just like common intrusive thoughts. When, and, and the thing about intrusive thoughts is like, that's just what they are. Like they're just thoughts. And if you ignore them then they're not that big of a deal, right. but if you give them weight, like waking up and checking and checking and checking, then it, it's starting to become a more pathological thing. Right. So, um, but intrusive thoughts can happen whether you have depression or anxiety, the difference in terms of the postpartum anxiety in terms of like airtime is people write it off as like typical mom mm. worry. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, moms always check on their babies because they're nervous. They're not breathing right. or they're, you know, not moving enough or whatever, right. but it's debilitating. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And what I tend to talk to my clients about is, you know, if your baby is asleep, 
and it's nighttime. I'm not a big proponent of like sleep with the baby sleeps during the day, but when it's nighttime and you're supposed to be sleeping and the baby is asleep and you're not sleeping, that's a problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in terms of like the postpartum depression side of things, that's more, you know, the, the transition from the baby blues, which is also like a very common thing, mm-hmm. right? When we started to notice what postpartum depression was, is when the baby blues never stopped. Okay. So the, the anxiety is more of like, it's just kind of written off as like a typical thing that happens, but Mm. it can really like escalate into postpartum OCD or especially if you have birth trauma or trauma around just your pregnancy in general, that can also carry into, those are kind of all in like a postpartum anxiety umbrella, but they're also getting their own airtime now too. Totally. Now are there, they're called postpartum for a reason. They happen after the birth. However, my question is, are they related? Like, are they fueled by postpartum hormones or is this just an, a natural common psychological event that happens? That's not fueled by hormones. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think it's a combination of things. I definitely think that hormones play a part. Um, when you're pregnant, you know, over the nine, 10 months that you're developing this little human, Mm -hmm. your hormones are slowly building up and preparing your body to give birth. Once you give birth, the hormones drop off, like Mm -hmm. you don't get the same titration down that you got up. Right, right. I definitely think hormones play a part. I think that's why we experience the baby blues Mm -hmm. and all of that. And then there's like a lot of predisposing factors that would contribute to somebody getting a postpartum mental health issue in general. Mm -hmm. So birth trauma would be one of them. You don't always get to postpartum PTSD, but it can result in any of these things. It could be something as simple as like, you wanted to have a vaginal birth and you had to have a C-section. Like something- And you're sort of mourning that plan, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that can just kick off a whole different ballgame postpartum. Mm -hmm. Um, Breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. If you have a hard time breastfeeding and you have to supplement. Yeah, same. Um, If you have a NICU baby, (laughs) all Mm -hmm. of those things kind of are contributing factors. And then you add on, did somebody in your family have postpartum depression or anxiety? Mm. Did you have depression or anxiety or trauma before getting pregnant? There's just Mm -hmm. like so many factors that totally you. It's hard to pinpoint one, but um, I think it's 2020 mom. Have you heard of them? No. They're, they're an organization that's really like advocating for perinatal rights in general, but they're right now they're doing where you can um, give them your DNA sample if you struggled with some sort of postpartum mental health so that they can see if there's any genetic link. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Fascinating. It's, I mean, okay. So, I mean, you became a mom three and a half years ago. That's still fairly recent and you were working for a psychiatric clinic. So Uh why do you think people are not talking about this or like, why is it not on the radar unless you're in the specialty? That's a great question. Um, I I don't think that like 
maternal health. I don't even want to specify mental health because I think maternal health in general is very neglected in Mm -hmm. our society. Well, look at the whole leave conversation that's going on right now in the States, right? I'm so grateful we don't have that conversation in Canada. We have a very healthy uh, leave program, but that is insane to me that they can't even get four weeks agreed to. Like it's just, what? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, there's so many different cultures that Mm. like the first 30 days postpartum, you are treated like a queen, right? Right. Like you don't get out of bed unless you have to, and people bring you food and they take care of the baby because your body just went through a major physical trauma, no matter how you gave birth, no matter what your birth ended up in, like your body has gone through something really traumatic and has to sort of get put back together inside. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when I get into debates with people about this, because I like to debate about it, um, (laughs) I, it's like, well, if we don't start appreciating that women give birth, we're going to stop giving birth and that's not a good thing for our population. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so w- we have to like acknowledge that like, yeah, it's really hard emotionally and physically. And especially when I was in school, like, I mean, I was in school maybe, oh gosh, it's been probably almost 10 years ago. You know, it was, they talked about postpartum depression, but more like, so there's this thing called depression and like, you, you can get it postpartum and that was kind oh. of it <laughs> wow <laughs> so I mean it, maybe it's improved since then but yeah um I, I think that people just assume that you're gonna struggle and that that's just part of it and I think once I started doing this work and talking about it and like posting about it on Instagram I have so many like people like my mom's age that come to me and they're like, I wish that somebody like right. was around then because I definitely had these issues and nobody talked to me about it. Right. And it was just like, yeah, like it's hard and you're yeah. going to cry and you're going to be stressed out and like, welcome to motherhood. That's what it is. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Oh, oh my God. Well, it's so funny. Just as you were talking about what I got this vision of like <laughs> sort of those eighties movies, like the rise. I mean, I'm a working mom. We're both working moms, but the rise of the working mother and that whole thing of like, and I love a good career path. And I think it's amazing. I'm not trying to get into that conversation, yeah. <laughs> but because I, I work corporate, like, you know, I have a full-time job, but um, there was this like image of the working executive mother who just basically popped out a kid and went straight back into her suits and heels. And especially in the States with no leave other than, um, what are they disability leave, right? Like that's what it's called, which that drives me crazy. Um, Uh becoming a mother is not a disability, (laughs) correct? but, um, yeah, like, and so it's like in our rise to get women into the, you know, um, equitable, workplace environments, if you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. this picture sort of got painted that that's how we had to do it as opposed to honoring the mother, accepting and, you know, recognizing what needs to happen to support her in that month. And then sure, go back to work, do what you want. Like, you know, but 
but like, yeah, take that time. I'm on a bit of a tangent. I'm not sure I'm making a whole ton of sense right now, but do you know what I mean? Oh, like it's totally get it. It's sort somehow of how like, it got okay, messed up. If you want to be treated like men in the workplace, you need to be the man in the workplace, even yeah. if you pop out a baby. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, and yeah. why, like, it's just, it's so messed up because mm-hmm. yes, women are like, we should be, we are able to do whatever the heck we want, basically. Right. Like if we want to be stay-at-home moms, awesome. If we want to be career women, awesome. If we want to be entrepreneurs, awesome. It's all great. And we have the right to that choice. Right. But it's somehow it got messed up in that process. Uh And so there, there needs to be that change. And I almost think that this conversation is missing in that paid leave fight right? Like it's, I'm not, cause I mean, I'm looking at it as an observer from Canada, but uh-huh. I'm, I'm very interested in it and I've been reading about it and I'm not seeing a ton of that, like honoring the woman and this doesn't need to take away from her career and that conversation. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, yeah I'm seeing, well, she needs to recover physically. Uh-huh. Like she, she needs, her stitches need to heal. And, you know, her hemorrhoids need to go down and like all those things, right? Like that's what you're seeing is the physical recovery, not so much the mental recovery. Yeah. Well, and I think rightfully so men on a general level don't understand the process because they don't get to do it. Like yeah, that fair, is something fair. Be, right. So they, they don't understand unless they see it mm-hmm. and to see it means you have to be open to seeing it right well and be like a pretty tuned in dad too right like it's most of the people that like our dads see it they go oh okay I get it like holy cow what did she just do right (laughs) totally Totally. and and even the picture that they paint about postpartum depression you know because like one of the ways in which they're trying to assess to make sure that like moms aren't experiencing depression is they throw these questionnaires at you every time you go to the doctor, mm-hmm. which like you could easily just not answer honestly and walk out and whatever. And nobody's right. asking you questions about it. Like none of that. So th- they do that. And then other than that, like they paint the picture that like, unless you are struggling with suicidal thoughts or you're mm-hmm. laying in bed all day or crying all the time, then you're not depressed. So you'd actually have to really tune in after, because men also go through the, the identity shift of becoming mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. dad, right? So after you go through your own shift, you have to be able to tune into your wife and say like, you're just not the same. And mm. that's a problem. And we need to focus on that and, and really make sure that you get to, you may be never going to be the same as you were before you had a baby, but like, how do we get you to a place where like, you feel good about yeah. yourself? Yeah. And so when we talk about like the laws that are being passed, we're talking about a majority of men that are making these decisions and they're not going to empathize with the emotional burden. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the physical burden, mm-hmm. which is just across the board, kind of like our society in general. Is, right. You know, like physical health is always more measurable than mental health. And so right. that's just what we can focus on. And physically, there are timetables that mm-hmm. doctors set and that's it. Right. So disability for a vaginal birth is six weeks because that's all it takes to heal, you yeah, know? Right. And which actually is not true from all of my, <laughs> you know, reading and learning from pelvic floor physiotherapists and pelvic floor coaches and stuff, totally not accurate, but uh-huh. you know, <laughs> yep. yep. And, and 
that's the other thing too, is like, we would also have to prioritize the health aspect, right? Mm -hmm. So like the, the check-ins on on moms about like certain things that are going on. Like it's basically like, does it hurt when you're having sex? Does anything feel different? Mm -hmm. Okay. You're good. Right. But like, nobody asks like, do you pee when you cough? Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Right. And if you tell anybody that you do, they're like, oh, that's normal. Mm-hmm. But it's not normal. No, and it can right? be treated. It this is a, treated. This is a conversation I've been having with one of my really good friends about just because it's common doesn't mean it's normal and we should just accept it and live with it. Right? right. It can be treated. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I mean, yeah. it's helpful to know something is quote unquote normal because then, yeah. you know, like just knowing that that is, you know, common and normal, you go, oh, okay, I'm not alone. Right. Right. But yeah, it's, it can be treated. You don't have to live with peeing when you go for a run or peeing when you cough yeah. or peeing when you laugh or peeing when you sneeze or peeing on a trampoline or any of the right. places that pee happens. Like so, there's yeah. people in the world that have dedicated their life's work to making sure you don't have to do that. Yeah. And nobody's asking if you need that. Right. And when you talk about it, people just say it's normal, just like the anxiety after right. you have a baby and, and you just kind of chunk through and you're like, all right, well, I guess this is my life now. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, and gosh, then, I hope it doesn't happen while I'm at work because right. you know, like, yeah. Right. Do I need to bring a change of pants with me exactly. everywhere I go? Like at least I have a diaper bag, I guess. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and I mean, I'm, I'm 14 years out and I'm just starting the work on fixing those issues. So I don't carry a diaper bag with me anymore. Yeah, like it's, maybe I should restart, but I'm actually working on addressing the issues. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, but when you look at this like bigger picture and like the impact on the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because let's just like throw moms out the window for a second. Cause like people just, <laughs> as everybody does. Kids, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. When, when you have moms that have postpartum depression mm-hmm. or postpartum anxiety and they don't get treatment for it, mm-hmm. then you start to see the attachment uh-huh. is impacted with their kids. Right. And so, and this isn't everyone, like, of course, like there's people that don't get it treated, it gets better and uh-huh. everybody uh-huh. lives happily, but there are the people who like have a hard time bonding with their baby because they're uh-huh. so stressed out or so sad. And then their children have behavioral issues and they're uh-huh. older because their moms never attached to them. And it becomes like this whole mm-hmm. thing. I'm actually reading a book about this right now. It's called The Push. Mm. No. It's it's really good so far. I'm, I'm only like a little bit in, but it's a it's basically about like how transgenerational trauma can impact your parenting mm. and the ability to bond with your baby and then the impact on children's behavior when you don't have the ability to make that connection. Mm-hmm. And it, it can really contribute to a lot of the mental health issues that we're seeing. Totally. Now, right. So like when you're looking at preventative care, if you start with the mom, mm-hmm. you're actually going to make more like improvements than mm-hmm. if you start with the kid. Well, societal impact, like yeah. generational impact. Right. Yeah. And people don't look to the future and think about that, right? It's, yeah, yeah, I love, I mean, because of that, I love that you changed your practice focus from kids and teens to moms. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and when I was working with the kids, it was so hard because when you're a parent and your kid is having problems, it's just like, I want this to be better. Right. Right. And the introspection part is so hard. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to look inside and say, this is a me issue. If right. I work on myself and I improve how I handle this situation, things might improve a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so I find like, it was like this uphill battle of like, you know, the, the kid's not going to change unless things at home change. And if you're not willing to change things at home, then like, what are we doing here? Right. And they've brought them to you so you can speak to the kid and quote right. unquote, fix the kid. Right. right. But then, yeah, such a good point because yeah, they have to be open to that. Oh, I also have to change and yeah. fix and to do the work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. It's huge. Yeah. I read um, The Whole Brain Child. I don't know if you've heard of that book. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, you know, both of my kids are kind of in the, the rough tantrum places. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I would I would find that I was getting really angry and I'd start yelling and I don't like to yell. And, and I would find that like I, something is happening that I'm getting like so triggered. And so I found this book and I read it. It was a great book. And it really like helped with the like internal process of like, why is this making me so mad? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how do I approach them in a different way that's going to actually cause change as opposed to fear? Mm-hmm. Like you don't want them to stop doing something because they're afraid of you and what right. your reaction is going to be, but because they understand the impact of what they're doing on their life and on yeah. your life. Yeah. Which is hard for a one and a half year old and a three and a half year old to understand (laughs) for sure. (laughs) But starting those conversations at their level at this point and then continuing it on is huge. Yeah. 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 For sure. They're going to do it again. Yeah. And you just have to, you know, keep reiterating why it's important that they don't. And then eventually it'll sink in and then they'll stop. Yeah. You hope. Yep. For sure. For sure. I'm again, 14 years in, not sure it's stopping, but also (laughs) I definitely get triggered. And so, yeah, Uh it's, I should, I should be reading that book. We've had a conversation on the podcast recently, um, about this and what are those triggers and where do they come from in your own life? You know, is it a, a sense of loss of control? Like, what is it from, if you weren't parented in a way that you understand these you know, situations where they're very loud and you're not comfortable, then you might not Uh respond in uh an organic way right like it's just it's going to come out in some way that you're not happy with so yeah yeah, it's fascinating stuff yeah and I think another thing that comes up a lot postpartum and especially for moms who have more than one kid right is like you're in this like very like new I don't want to say fragile but like very raw is probably Mm -hmm. a better Mm -hmm. word place right and you have older kids that like still need you right right and and there's like the overstimulation piece that comes up a lot so like being touched out Mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. you know is like you know maybe you're breastfeeding maybe the baby needs to be held all the time Mm -hmm. like and then you also have a partner that probably wants to like connect with you even if it's just a hug and then you have Mm -hmm. another kid that wants like, I know my dog always needs to be touching me. So like <laughs> everybody's touching you all day long. Yeah. But then, like, your sense of hearing is higher because you have to be alert for the baby. And so yeah. loud noises and screaming and, 
And so then that tends to like cause definitely yeah right? definitely like, <laughs> it becomes like I can't take that anymore yeah like, this is just too much and so that's a lot of the work too right it's like yeah. how do you not get to a place where you're so overstimulated that the best thing that you can do is just scream at right. people around you right yeah this is huge this is absolutely huge okay so I'm going to ask you at the end how people can connect with you because I feel like people are like yes I need this right now um <laughs> Well, at least I am, but uh, <laughs> I have some questions that I ask all of my guests. Yeah. So, um, number one, how do you define balance for yourself and your family? Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, balance. I think how I define balance would be like, you know, a healthy amount of work, a healthy amount of family time, and a healthy amount of time by myself. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I like that you get to define what a healthy amount is for you in each of those areas too. Yes. Yeah. So something that's like really big for me and my husband is like, we both need time to ourselves mm-hmm. when our children are awake and when our children are asleep. So we mm. have like structured, the, the night times are easier, but when our children are asleep, we have structured time where we do not hang out with each other and we have structured time when we do. Nice. And it's, predictable and it's nice because you know that like you're gonna have a night where like you don't have to worry about anybody but yourself yeah do whatever you want yeah you know and then during the days we structure time so that we both get space awesome and there's a a book on burnout by um the gosh oh it's called burnout right and I cannot remember her name but yeah it's called burnout Yes. I can't pronounce her name. I, I right. have it in my phone, but I can't pronounce it. And Emily something. Yes. Yeah. I can see the book, but I, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and in there, she says something about how like, it is your partner's responsibility to protect your time. Mm. And I find that to be like life-changing. Mm-hmm. Like you deserve to take time for yourself, whether it's 10 minutes or three hours. And that needs to be protected time. Yeah. I love that. And like, um, reciprocal between you, right. Your responsibility to protect their time and their responsibility to protect yours. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I love that. Awesome. Okay. So do you make time for self-care and what does that look like for you? Yeah. So one, one thing is I've mentioned a lot that I, I've read a lot of books. I have a book club, me and my friend, we have a a virtual book club that we do with each other and we read one book a month and that has been great. We, we started at the beginning of the pandemic and awesome. we both love that. And then, you know, I do like the, the typical stuff of like getting my nails done. They're going for a massage. I just started acupuncture. Yeah. Um, I, I've really tried to focus on like some body work, mm-hmm. which is really good. Um, sometimes I just lay on my phone and watch TikTok. Yep. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So I, for me, it's like, there's a line, but when that goes from self-care to numbing behaviors though. So I have to be super aware of at what point do I need to stop? (laughs) Yeah. 30 minute time limit. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I love it. All right. So what is the biggest lesson you have learned as a mom? Gosh. I think, I think there's probably two. One that like, it's really hard for your kids to appreciate 
you as a mom until they become parents, because I did not appreciate my Mm -hmm. mom until I became a parent to this extent. Of course, I appreciated her, but you just don't know the the level of sacrifice and work that it takes to be a mom until you have to do it yourself. So I think that's part of it. And Mm -hmm. I think probably the other part of it is like, no one is doing it right. Everybody's just doing it good enough. Yeah. And that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's so good. Okay. How can our listeners connect with you? So we have a Instagram page. It's at rooted in harmony counseling. Cool. And then we also have our website, which is rooted harmony counseling.com. Okay. wouldn't let you do the in. Um, and then that's the, that's our therapy practice. I also have a new mom coaching practice that mm. I've started so that I could reach more moms. So awesome. I'm, I'm limited in therapy to only working with moms in California. Right. So, um, with my coaching practice, it's, it's not therapy, but I can work with more moms mm-hmm. across the world. Right. And so that expands that a little bit more. So for that, it's, uh, my website is Ali star C H A R.com. Okay. And my Instagram handle is at Ali Shar coaching. Awesome. Okay. Well, I will link to all of those things in the show notes so yeah. people can connect with you. I think this has been a really great conversation about a really yeah. important topic. And I hope that some moms have been listening and maybe they've realized, oh my gosh, this was me. And maybe I should talk to somebody and reach out for some help and support. Right. Cause it's yeah so important and it goes like you undiagnosed for so mm-hmm. many. So this is huge. And- if not about themselves, like we all know people that get pregnant and have babies yeah. throughout our lives and being able to check in on them a little differently. Yeah. I love that. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. So good. Thank you so, so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. This is so fun. All right, mamas, that's it for today. For more info about this episode, you can check out the show notes at momcamplife.com slash podcast. Hang out with us on Instagram at MomCampLife. And if you love this episode, please share it with your friends. Thank you so much for tuning in and join us next time around the campfire.